0: Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives
1: who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These
0: are our stories.
1: Dun-dun!
0: Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We're
1: coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. And here we do SVU. We talk true crime. And because of the strike, we do not have any guests. But no fear,
0: we're Virgos and we will continue talking. <laughs> and it is Virgo season. Oh, actually, as this as this releases. It's not Virgo season anymore. It's Libra season. Damn. Well. Yeah, but they're the forgotten
1: sign, if I'm being honest. Libras? Like, I remember playing a game where you have to name a name, whatever. Like, you have to name all 50 states. And I always forget Connecticut. Now that you're in my life, I wouldn't. But I feel like Libra is the Connecticut of
0: signs. (laughs) Just like, what are you even about? Just hanging out there, middle fall, you mean nothing. They have the Libras are the scale, right? So are they like supposed to be balanced people? I don't know. Oh, I guess we love justice on this pod. <laughs> That's true. Oh my god, SVU is a Libra. That's so wild. Okay. No, because it no, premiered on your birthday. On my birthday, so SVU is a Virgo. Yep, fuck that. SVU was born on my birthday. Um and we are coming to you live right now from not live, very unlive in the time machine. We are coming to you from Atlanta. Lisa and I are in a suite that has two bedrooms, and we are just in different rooms recording the podcast right now. Hell Thought yeah. you guys might like to know that I can literally hear her echo outside of the room as she speaks. Um, but last night
1: we got into Atlanta early and we went swimming. Um, oh yeah, at, at a at a
0: pal's pool. And I think I had a special connection with the Black Lab, if we're being honest. She did. Like, this Black <laughs> Lab was like, oh, this girl came to play and just did 90,000 belly flops into the pool. Every time Lisa dove into the water, the Black Lab was like, yes, bitch, and like followed and jumped on top of her. It was wild. It I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. That the people were like, oh,
1: he will continue flopping until he his paws bleed. Yeah, that's what she kept saying. That the fur on his belly is gone because he cannot stop belly flopping. (laughs) That he goes into the pool every single day.
0: Yeah, basically, we were in a dog pool. We were just, we were using his pool. We
1: were in his
0: world. Um, He's like, what
1: are these bitches doing in the pool?
0: (laughs) And he had this little chew toy that was a piece of brie, right? It was like a little wheel of brie. (laughs) So we kept throwing the brie to him. It oh, just so we had a time. Funny
1: to do something so much that like your humans have to take you in because your paws are just bleeding, but you just can't stop. Yeah, like I don't know if there's anything I would continue doing until I was fully yeah. just bleeding and bleeding. fur coming off <laughs> <Yeah>. my body. <laughs> no, couldn't be me. I guess um, smoking weed, but even then, my paw beds are doing good. You
0: know. <laughs> Your little paws are intact, yeah.
1: Oh, I do want
0: to... What? Oh, sorry. What about the flight?
1: Oh, it was a fun flight and I loved being the Jenna lions of the group in business class and watching you <laughs> walk right past me and I love that there's now a reference. Like, it would just be like, oh, I'm in first class and now I can go, oh, I'm just going to be a little Jenna Lyons today. Like, I like that. <laughs> She's coming yeah. at us strong. I-, I always love when the women of Real Housewives are a new franchise or anything they think they're gonna spin it and not be the villains. Like, they thought we would all hate Jenna because she's rich and in first class. And instead, we're like, leave her alone.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: this is real housewives of New York if you're confused by it. And they all got mad at this woman who's 20 years older than them. She's six feet tall. She has just had mouth surgery. And she has a skin condition. And so she went down early on a business class flight to get a little tan um, because she's feeling insecure. And these girls pounced on her pounced on her.
0: Can you imagine? It was was like one of the most manufactured boring storyline things I've ever seen. Like, I think maybe a long time ago, people would have cared about that. Maybe, I think maybe like the Ramona Bethany days, people may have cared, but it's like, I just don't think anybody cares about that kind of thing. They were on separate flights.
1: They care though. Yeah. I don't think it's manufactured. I think these bitches are truly like jealous of her. They want to they think they're equal to Jenna Lyons. They're they're not self-aware. They're delusional. They're delulu. Yes. That's a new word they're... I l- learned.
0: <laughs> they're delulu. They're a little bit delulu. They so I just as I opened my phone this morning, there's an article in the cut about Jenna Lyons and she has about like whether she could still form a beauty brand without ruining her reputation since going on The Real Housewives. I think she can because I think she's coming off very well on the show and she said an interesting thing. Now of course I can't find it, but it was something along the lines of like I'm 20 years older than these women. Like I have spent a really long time like thinking before I speak, like trying to be professional, trying to be a boss, and then these like 36-year-old women come on the show and are just like wah, wah, wah. like so she's not going to be exactly like you guys. She's not going to come out with like all of her personal information on the pilot, you know, like that's just not how she has come up, which I respect, you know. Not
1: only how she's come up, it's like they're just like, "Um, honey, we're not posting your stuff for free." And it's like, "She was the head of J Crew and worked there for 27. Who do you think you are?
0: <laughs> she's
1: remodeling Rockefeller Center." <laughs> I, like, I just don't get, sometimes someone is better than you and it's, oh, it's better to admit it than to fight it and go, How is the four seasons, Jenna? It was honestly b- worse than her house. How about that? Like <laughs> she's Jenna fucking lions and she's coming off stylish. I want to know everything she's doing at every moment. I don't believe she's as shy and goody goody because I've heard stories of her in the boardroom. Right. So yeah, this whole, like, I've never been on a girl's trip. It's like, you've never been to Dinah Shore? I don't buy it. I don't
0: buy it. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> JFL used to stand for Just for Laughs comedy festival, but now Jenna fucking lions. Everyone's <laughs> it throwing JFL around everywhere.
1: I was wondering <laughs> how you are going to connect to the festival. I was like, what
0: <laughs> happened right now? But... <laughs> we took a turn. Um, wait, speaking of taking a turn, I don't. I just want to shout out, A friend of the pod, if you came to our very first LA show, he sold you merch. My dear friend from high school, Jed, he listens to the pod. He just had a surprise medical procedure, I'll say. And um, I just want to say, hi, Jed, and I hope you're doing... Great. And I hope everybody can send collective love and uh, good, good vibes to my friend Jed. Jed Word, my friend since third grade. Um, they were both, um, you probably know this, um, biggest gossips in yep. high school, superlatives. That was our superlative, baby. And nothing's changed. Tell us your secrets. I
1: will say nothing. Should we start a <laughs> line?
0: Text us your secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh. I sort of love the idea of like a phone line like a Google voice line for the pod. People just call us and text us. They tell us our secrets in in the DMs. We get some secrets.
1: They are loose on the Insta. I guess (laughs) um, a more not fun thing, but also good. Danny Masterson getting 30 years is unheard of. because No one gets 30 years. It's usually like, did you rape a family? Here's a couple months. Like it never works out. So... It is so disappointing that all these letters of support came out when it's like, you don't get 30 years when you're a white rich person in Scientology if you didn't do it.
0: Yeah. And there must have been like a lot of proof because this is, that is a sentence. That is quite a sentence.
1: And I guess we learned a lesson. Do not write (laughs) character letters for rapists. Who cares if they're your friend or sibling or cousin? What are you talking about? You
0: fucking Yeah, somebody like this guy I follow on um, Instagram that I love, Matt XIV. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have this great Instagram and I always love whatever they post. And one of the things was every single person that's ever raped or murdered someone has been nice to another person in their life. Like, you can still be an abuser and be nice to other people. Like, it's just crazy to be like... I know 1,000% that this person didn't do this because they were on a TV show with me and and I liked them then. Like, it's just so... You also know they're part of a extremely shady religion that hides the truth all the time and investigates people and does intimidation campaigns. So it's... I can't believe I'm even talking this much about Scientology because they truly freak me out. But please don't come for me, Scientology. I I can't handle it.
1: I'm just happy that Leah Remini keeps surviving
0: because that's cool. Yeah. She's almost, like, too high profile now. If they do something to her, it's, like, too shady.
1: Yeah. Um, I just, and what we learn from SVU so much in the real world and all the cases, it's, like, a lot of abusers purposely are trusting members of the community. That's how you build trust and get people to, you know, not tell or no one trusts you. Like, of course, everyone's going to believe if, like, Rusty the pervert from the shack,
0: uh, you know, behind the 7 Eleven shack (laughs) in the woods. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, there's a reason it's pastors. There's a reason it's people that are really nice on set, you know, but their apology was so wild because in it, they're like, we just thought this was for the judge. (laughs) It's like, oh, so in secret, (laughs) you were okay. (laughs) No, they seem like more like, especially her, she seems annoyed to even have to be talking about it. Like, okay, we support victims and we thought it was for the judge. Okay, so stop it. Like, we support. We're not trying to invalidate what they said. And it's like, you are. Um, and your attitude is weird. You stood up yeah. for a rapist. Like, I don't know why you're not more ashamed. Annoyed is not the right A-adjective and to be.
0: Ashton Kutcher has an organization that literally Yeah, but it's shady. Ch- it's shady. Is it? Well,
1: it's not shady. I'm sh- I'm sure he's done amazing work, but it's a tech company. It's a face so- facial recognition software. Uh. That works in um helping victims of human trafficking, but I think it does fuck over um sex workers as well. He has saved young girls. That is great, but remember the SVU with that <laughs> the guy who is helping the and he wanted he pretended to want to have sex with Olivia Benson, and he was like, "My sister's dead. I must fight all the pedophiles, but with Steve Tobolowski. oh right, right. What yes. episode is that? But whatever we've covered it. Steven oh, has yeah. been a guest, but it's the guy who's like, "Oh, I'm here to help people." and oh, then yeah. he's he's the one so um no, I don't I think they I think in the organization is great. I think he is trying to save children and people from human trafficking, but it is a software company. You never trust the rich. Like, you never trust the rich. And then it's also like the George Clooney of it all where it's like, I don't trust a pranker. A pranker. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You did punked. I'm not trusting
1: you. A prank once in a while. It's the right moment. Oh, she's coming back. Let's all hide. But someone that's like, I... Ellen. Ellen is another notorious pranker. Like, they're not to be trusted.
0: <laughs> don't trust the
1: prankers. They're sociopaths. They don't feel anything, so they need to, like, scare people to feel anything. And they like um, being in control of your emotions. Don't trust someone that's, like, addicted. I, there's actually someone at the comedy club I perform at, and this motherfucker, I don't trust him anymore, because this is, he'll pull these things where he'll go, what are you doing? They just called your name on stage. And so then you just start running like a crazed person. And then yes. he goes, I'm kidding. Ugh. And no matter how much you know he does this shit, it like he is so good at it <laughs> that he will just say stuff that isn't true. You believe it or react or start running and then he'll laugh. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you've committed crimes. Right. <laughs> you keep secrets, you punkin, you punk bitch. I did watch punk. I liked watching Justin Timberlake cry. <laughs> should we? Should we start this? This yeah, let's start. Rolls but show. before
0: we get going, let's just remind gotta you guys. Tell we got to tell We got to tell the people. We are coming to you very soon. Buffalo on the 8th of October. New Haven, Connecticut on the 10th of October. Burlington on the 12th of October. Then a few days later, we got Cleveland on the 18th. Boston on the 19th. Boston, get your asses out there. We are playing a very large venue and we need butts in the seats. And then Toronto for the first time on the 25th. 24th, Detroit on the 25th, and Pittsburgh on the 26th. Obviously, tons more dates coming up in November and December, but that's our October schedule. And we really hope that you guys will come out and see us because we're so excited. Honestly, we just did our first few shows of the tour and they've been so freaking fun already. You guys are the best listeners and audience members and we love giving you a live show. So come see us. And
1: we're getting good.
0: We're really getting yeah. good. We have a good <laughs> time at these shows. It's we fun. should do. Yeah. Um, And all the information is at That's MessedUpLive.com. So you can head over there to see where we're going, when we're going, where to get ticks. This episode is a classic. We're excited. Let's get going.
1: Okay, here we go. Um, We're doing Futility, Season 4, Episode 22. And we're starting at a poker night. Love that. Um, they're playing Texas Hold'em. Love that even more. And it's the Wonder Years actor, and he is being nuzzled on uh, by a woman during the game. So that's cute. He's wearing a wedding band, so you know they're probably married. And I love wardrobe and storytelling. Very
0: cool. And his and his name is Fred Savage.
1: <laughs> I will be calling him multiple
0: other things besides Kevin that. Arnold. <laughs> um, and his brother Ben Savage is from Boy Meets World, right?
1: Yeah, and then
0: I think only one of them is a rapist, right? Yeah, but you guys can guess which one, I guess. We're not allowed to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's alleged or what? I think it's alleged. I don't know if it's rapist. It's like me too. He got like me too. I think he was inappropriate at work. I don't know if he actually went, you know. Well, did I
1: tell you? No, but did I tell you at the comedy store, I was doing a joke and someone yelled, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show. This was like last month, but someone from the audience yelled out, you've never been dick raped. Did I not tell you to that? you? Yeah, I was on stage. I was doing like my false rape accusation joke or whatever, just or my new, the backstory, whatever. I was working, I was working on a bit and some dude just yelled out, whatever, you've never been dick raped. And so I just said, oh, you have to go. And so I <laughs> kicked him out. Like, I, I that's not even. I don't know what he meant by it. And I wasn't going to find... Even the whole audience was like, ugh. ugh. Like, no one liked it. And then one of the door guys, um, who's a comic, came up to me after. And he said that it took five security guards to make this guy leave. He would not leave. And I also... Usually I like dealing with Heckler. But it was just like, I can't even deal with you. But I guess when they were kicking him out, he said... <laughs> what, what's wrong with yelling to a female comedian about dick rape? Like, he didn't understand. And then they found him- That's the scariest part. (laughs) And then they found him tweeting about the comedy store. And he wrote, I just got kicked out of the comedy store for yelling dick rape. And then he used the emoji of like the shrugging of the shoulders. Like, huh, I don't get
0: it. (laughs) Like, you can't say anything in this world anymore, you know? These libs, you just can't say anything. You can't yell at a woman- (laughs)
1: You've never been dick raped. <laughs> I don't even know what it like, I, It was it was uh, very wild. So, I mean, oh yeah, misconduct on the former. Yeah, allegations of misconduct. Whatever. So there's tons of articles. I'm looking at the times. They have a look, a closer look. At the end of the day, I didn't want to give him time because it's just like I don't yeah. care. You know, if if you if, if you're if you're fucking up and not treating women right. Well, I, I do think that this
0: one, I'm glad we're addressing it because I do think this one flew under the radar. And I wouldn't want people to be like, oh, we thought you'd get Fred Savage as your guest. Because we're not, we're, we're usually not really having um, people with uh, misconduct allegations on the pod.
1: Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the LA Times says that they've been dealing with accusations of inappropriate behavior on set since he was 16.
0: Because he went from an actor to a director. He's directed a lot of episodes of Modern Family. Like he's, he's, I think, more so has been focusing on directing in the later part of his career than on acting. Um, though he was in a great show called The Grinder that I was obsessed with with Rob Lowe that did not get its true flowers I feel in the television business it was such a funny sitcom with where he plays a lawyer Rob Lowe plays his brother who's an actor who's played a lawyer and he like moves back to the town and starts to like be a lawyer it's really funny um I always oh, while
1: I didn't realize some of the suits go back to like 1993 94 I thought it was uh, like these some of these are old and then 2018 speaking of the grinder um someone worked in the wardrobe department on the grinder sued him too And that it was alleged assault and battery by the actor and he was aggressive, intimidation, constant use of profanity aimed towards female employees.
0: Yuck. Um, Whoa.
1: One was that he violently struck her arm three times and asked her to brush dandruff off the shoulders of his suit. He says, untrue. These are no merit. I mean, obviously the the case was dismissed. Whatever. If you want to know more information on him... Obviously, you know, the LA Times, you guys do it. Yeah. But that's why we're yeah. doing the episode when we can't have guests, if you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we're not gonna have him. Yeah. All right. So that was a nice aside. And hopefully none of you are mad at us, but I can s- <laughs> I see it coming. All right. So <laughs> um buzz buzz. Someone's at the door of this apartment with the the poker game. And the Wonder Years guy goes to open it, but it's really choppy sounding on the intercom. So he's like, oh, I'll just go downstairs to get the food. He opens the door. Nobody's outside. And then we hear the sounds of the city. And then we see the food 10 feet away on the sidewalk, just like on the bottom, like on the bottom, on the ground. It's just a bag of Chinese. (laughs) I, I also assume it's Chinese food, but I don't know what it is. I assume it was
0: Chinese too. I did. Yeah. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> because this is also old. And I feel like back in the day, the only things you really got delivered was pizza
0: or Chinese. Right. And if it was pizza, you'd see the box, right?
1: Yeah. Um, now, I mean, you can get a fucking bubble tea delivered, but back in the day, it was way more limited. I mean, maybe a diner, you know, maybe yeah, some Yeah, sending dogs. you
0: your birthday cupcakes was actually the first time I ever sent anything with Postmates that wasn't like food, like just regular food. You know, I like never sent a gift or anything via that. So oh. you can really do anything these days.
1: Yeah, I um
0: Well, because the funny but thing about. They didn't include the card, so I didn't. I was not happy with them.
1: <laughs> they did not include the card, but what I loved about getting those cupcakes is I always send those cupcakes to everyone, but I never taste them. So I got to finally taste all the flavors I've been sending people all these years. Yeah, so now it now they're was for you, baby. Exciting. <laughs> so it was exciting but he so he decides that he's gonna still pick up the food even though this is obviously creepy like the food <laughs> is away from your door no one is there um boo it's Stabler and benson and he's under arrest and finn um he's confused why he's being arrested and assures them like oh, you got the wrong guy benson goes it's rape you're being arrested for rape and then he punches her in the face oh my god fucking
0: crazy you're toast but- dude Is the whole reason they're doing this little like ruse because of that whole thing that we've talked about before where you can't be arrested in your own house or something? Yeah, correct. I just don't get that. I feel like I've seen them show up at other people's houses and say you're under arrest before. But maybe it's
1: more of a warrant situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, it's usually at a banquet. It's usually at an event. Yeah. It's It's not in a home. (laughs) They're not arresting people in the home. Unless they're actively doing it. But, I, yeah, I don't know. But I think that's why the ruse, for sure. Yeah, he decides to punch Benson in the face. Um, the wife runs out and says, what are you doing? That's my husband. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll stop arresting him since that's your husband. We don't care. We don't yeah. care how you know him. <laughs> he just cold cocked a cop, you dumb bitch. Yeah. He tells her to contact their lawyer and as he's carried away. She asks, why are you arresting him? And Stabler turns around and says, your husband raped four women. Finn says your dinner is here. It's on the NYPD. Love that. <laughs> Her mouth is open. She is stunned. And I'm wanting some sweet and sour chicken. <laughs> okay. But I think I, this is what I wrote here. I think that sushi is the best poker food because it's chopsticks, no hands, no mess, easy, compact. Like you're not going to get grease on the cards.
0: It's, and nothing's going to drip. And that's why we're having sushi the first night we're going to Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't want to get any grease on my poker chips. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, when does this episode air? Right before. Oh, this one? Are we back? After we're back, we'll be back. We'll be back from Vegas.
1: Yeah. Well, you'll you'll hear. That's what's going to be wild. You'll hear about Vegas in the intro, maybe. (laughs) Or maybe not. Next week. (laughs) It's wild. Someone, I did see a comment from someone. They're like, we hate the time machine. And it's like, well, that's how things work. I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. We
0: can't,
1: we can't do it live. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> okay, we'll do it live. We can't. We can't. <laughs> we can't. Who's? Who, that's not enough time to edit out all of our ums, likes, uh-huhs. Yeah. <laughs> Casey yeah. needs
0: weeks to do it to make us sound <laughs> listenable. Yeah.
1: So she, uh, whatever. So rapist, Chinese food, sushi's the best. Now, we have the older savage brother sitting in a cement room with bars, and he um it looks like he's in a dramatic one man play. <laughs> he says he regrets hitting the women and that he lost his temper um all the women or no just... no hitting I think just Stim yeah. Benson, he means. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote women um and it's like, okay, so then I guess you can leave like these people this couple just thinks that they could just say. <laughs> facts have nothing to do with it and be able to leave. He says he takes full responsibility and it's like, okay, great. Well, if you're taking full responsibility, then go to jail. The quickest episode ever. (laughs) Um, What do you think of responsibility and accountability is if it's not going to jail? So then a young, severe woman with a cartoonish hair flip and a swoop bang is yelling (laughs) about how, you know, my client is so banged up. And they're like, lady, he punched a lady cop in the face. So he's going to get roughed up. Cabot's in the room and she's like, I don't know. What happened? And Finn says, he fell. The lawyer yells, bull. And um, she is no nonsense. She is on all cylinders. It's so wild. Like every morning, I know that coffee on an empty stomach hurts me. But yeah. Every morning. And nevertheless,
0: she persisted.
1: Yeah. (laughs) She brings up his knuckles and the evidence of him punching Benson. So unless you want to add assault of a police officer on the charges, why don't you stop over, you know, trying to overplay this hand? He denies raping. He says, you know, wrong. You got the wrong people. You got the wrong person. We say, well, we have a print. So stop. The lawyer goes, okay, well, one print isn't enough. And the one print is actually a couple blocks away from his home on a metal railing. (laughs) Does not equal four rapes. And I hate to agree with, you know, hair flip and savage, but I'm here. So um, she does have a point. He calls the detectives lazy and Cabot says, nope, and throws some crime scene photos at him. And we connected it all because you have a signature. And if you leave a signature on all of these attacks, then one print does count to connect you to all of them. Um, And the signature is a choking and then it's cutting off tits, which. I don't like to read oh, oh. that out loud.
0: Does he? Cu- I don't think he cuts them off. I think he just slashes them on their tits. Slashes the tits. Yeah, yeah he We slashed. have had a tit removal episode and that's not this. No, but we have. That's, <laughs> that's Svengali. Um, and yes. And you can listen to that episode too. Oh my God, we're so sick. We knew that immediately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So it's a, it's a tit slash. And she says, not enough evidence and not unique enough of a pattern. And they say, well, we have a victim who gave a description. So boom, he still denies it. The lawyer is still trying to shut it down. She says, listen, if they actually had a victim, you would be in a lineup, but you're not. So let's go. And Cabot goes, you're right. That's your next stop. So it's time for the lineup. And Carrie is the victim played by the actress uh, Mindy Christ. And honestly, anyone would be proud to have an IMDb like hers. Like she's on every show ever. She's showing emotions. She's shaking. She's denying even actually seeing him. Uh-oh, that's not good. Um, and she, <laughs> But she's scared. She's like, if I don't pick the right person, that's going to be bad. And her advocate is there and the advocate's really helping her and like, do your best. Just say what is true. She's crying. Like, what if the wrong person, and then he gets away, and she's just really having a hard time. She She would have been fun
0: to talk to, Mindy Christ. We could have talked to her. That would have been fun. Yeah. But what are we going to do? It's a strike. uh, Benson interjects and she quizzes the victim
1: on her memory to give her confidence and she's clearly scared about this too but Benson is gentle sits her down and they start to talk Um, so she was choked from behind and then passed out but she wakes up and so she remembers being on the ground on her back he was on top of her and he didn't say anything and his hair was brown wavy he had dark eyes she pushes like what else what else do you remember what about the face and she says dark eyebrows clean shaven he had a scar over his right eye and she thinks he saw the car and it was a white truck. Benson says, see, you remember. And Benson allows Bethany, the rape crisis worker, to go with her. Bethany and Benson talk outside the room and leave uh, Carrie crying alone. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and she's
1: like this whole case relies on her and bethany's like listen i already know all the rules i'm not going to help her i'm just here for emotional support and she says i know and benson's like i just really want to get this guy he clocks them and looks on them on his way to the lineup and now it's time for action his lawyer aaron is so over the top annoying um like this girl is married to a men's rights activist for sure <laughs> So she sees him. She clocks his ass. More tears well up. She says, three, that's him. She swallows and says, that's the man that raped me. She looks down. Everyone scurries out except Cabot and aggressive hair flip. And she's like, I thought there were four victims. And Cabot goes, we only need one. Um, and the hair flip girl's like, no, not if it's wrong. They just live in the same neighborhood. She might've seen him just around the neighborhood. They fight back and forth. And she's like, well, the three others can't ID him and everyone's gonna hear about it. And it's like, okay, yeah, he knocked the others out fully. So I can't imagine that like helping the
0: case, but okay. Sorry they didn't get a glimpse. They were knocked out. Also, like, the Upper West Side is not like Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. It's not like you know all your neighbor. Like, I've lived up there forever, and I would say, like, I saw a few people, I guess, here and there, but it wasn't like you recognize all the people. Like, you don't see people coming and going even the same four blocks. You're like, oh, there's Mr. Wilson leaving every day like he does. It's just like, I don't know. I don't think—I think I would know my rapist versus a guy I, like, saw at Dwayne Reed. But, yeah. So Benson announces the news of
1: this guy being booked right now. The women are really excited. All four victims are there. And Benson explains the grand jury and the trial and everything with bail and just breaking down all the options that they have. It's a powerful group of women. And Benson's answering all of their questions. And there are a bunch of annoying problems. So he knows where they live. So like they want his address so they know to how to avoid him. And they say... They can't do that, but also if they do issue an order of protection for these women, then he gets all their locations, work info, information, because he needs all that info to be able to avoid those places. So it's like they can't do an order of protection or get help. They'll know where he is. And they don't feel safe without one because he's going to be out on bail. And one of the women did want an order of protection. And so the other women do agree to it. And he is free now. Munch is at the corkboard speaking to the team and the photos of the women with their identical markings. So now they want to figure out the connection between the women and gain more evidence on the white truck maybe. What's going on? They're chatting with Benson. And then Benson gets a call from Carrie. Gardner followed her into a coffee shop. So now we know Savage, aka Wonder is Gardner. So I think it's the first time I said his name. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. go to a nice uh, Perk's coffee. He left. Carrie is sitting there. She is shaken up. She says he smiled and said hello, but she walked in and he was already there. And she's like, how did he know? That doesn't work, baby girl. Like if you walked into a coffee shop, he's at, he's not following you, even though I, the coincidence is for a rapist, like I don't believe it. So Cabot says, this isn't going to work. And Benson goes, no, I know, but this is a bad guy. I know this wasn't an accident. He stalks them. But now what? He was in the coffee shop first. So we go to Huang and he agrees with Benson. This dude is meticulous and plans everything carefully. Um, he's a power reassurance rapist. You know, he has a perfect job and wife and looks good and he does all that to feel like a man because he wants to feel like a man but inside he's an insecure baby and that's why he cuts their boobs um, because then they're scarred forever and they'll always think of him and he's in control. He wants to instill fear in these victims because he gets off on it and It's a way to take his control back because he doesn't think he's a real man. So what are we going to do? Fuck. Benson and Stabler run off and take charge. They um, go to talk to the women. One has a son and Benson's like, just go stay with someone else. And she's like, pull him out of school. Like, I got to work. What the fuck? What do you want from me? And so she slams the door in the face and is really mad. And then we see one, what? Well,
0: though this woman, just FYI, is the mom from Webb. If you recognize her, she was just the mom of Teddy and Jake in Webb, which we just covered like a couple weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, I was like, she's so familiar. Have I seen her in something? And then I looked her up. I was like, oh, the mom from Webb. So
1: once Benson turns around, she sees who else but Wonder Years across the street and he's walking a really cute puppy.
0: Like, like a beanie ba- like a stuffed animal gunned puppy like it's so crazy how cute it's this puppy is just a chunky little <laughs> golden i mean
1: it, it oh my god more puppy <laughs> shots please um it, he's just perfect. And then Stabler picks up the puppy and it's just cute and sexy and amazing. And I I I can't, I can't. It's, it's like my favorite scene. But it's
0: like, if it was like some snaggletooth, like mutt, were they just going to leave it there? But then Stabler's like, I can't leave this beautiful dog here. So he picks him up. I don't know what the policy is when you arrest somebody that has a dog with them.
1: I, you know, you get, ar- wait, have you seen the video of Pinky? It's a viral video online. Who's Pinky? So it's like this cop is holding a cat named Pinky outside and he goes, hey, this is our cat of the week, Pinky, and he's up for adoption and he's a great gentle cat. The cat goes insane and it's like a minute and a half video (laughs) of this cat trying to escape. They keep trying to put it in a box. It won't. And then we just hear, then the cat grabs his leg and you just hear the cop go, ah! (laughs) you son of a bitch. And it's like, Pinky is not gentle and I don't think anyone adopted him, but it is a (laughs) video that I cannot stop watching. It's old, it's old. But I just, it was recently shown to me though. Um, (laughs) But... So whatever, he's outside the house. So that's, an you know, the broken order of protection. And so they're back in court um, for charges of menacing, stalking, and intimidating. He also fired his lawyer and is representing himself. And the judge is like, oh, great, more work for all of us. And then brings Cabot and him to the bench. Cabot believes he's doing this to fuck with the victims some more and not in good faith, but he is right. He has the right to defend himself. The rape and these charges are different judges, though, so even though this guy allows it doesn't mean that the judge in the next trial will stand for this. He claims it was a coincidence, and Cabot goes, no way, not twice in a day. Like, you're lying. The judge does dismiss it, though, because there's not enough evidence gavel-gavel. The wife is in the stands and gives him a hug. Cabot is livid and is bitching to the squad. And Benson is so mad. Like he didn't even attack the victim at her home. And we just gave the address and like, at, fuck this. Like we can't even keep these women safe. And this is bullshit. Munch um, it also uh, goes to talk to all the Wonder Years people. So co-workers, friends, wife, everyone, um, and everyone's just says he's a great guy, great guy, perfect guy. Benson goes to the phone and starts making calls um, to let the victims know that he's going to be defending himself in court, which makes it harder to testify and do all of that. So someone hands something to Cabot and she opens it and it's a motion to sever the charges. And so now we have to go to a motion hearing. He says there's no evidence in three of the four attacks. Cabot brings up law stuff to say how it's valid. And we have the judge, Louis Preston. That's not how you, what is it? Louis? Lois. Lois. Lois Preston, our redheaded princess of the court. And she's taking it all in and asks if there's an outside pattern of attacks. Um, and is there any more evidence? Cabot says, we don't need that. The people versus West. Um, when an MO is unique, then multiple crimes can be charged under one indictment. And then Wonder Years is fumbling with his books. And the hair flip lawyer is still like sitting by his side, his side helping him. And she's a Bronwyn type from the William Lewis episodes, if that rings a bell to you guys. And I mean, we always get these lawyers. Who the other lawyer they just like want to fuck these rapists and defend them it's really wild so and he's pretending to be like, oh golly, shucks. I don't, I don't know. What do I how do I read? But it's all fucking an act. And he brings up people versus Sable. When more proof on one crime has more evidence than the others, then the jury won't be able to consider the proof separate and it's an unfair connection. But him flipping through the book was an ASMR noise for me. And I enjoyed every little flip page. <laughs> the judge agrees with him though and calls it bootstrapping, and she's severing all counts. Cabot is mad. And fuck, now he wants to dismiss all the charges in full. And Cabot's like, okay, but we do have proof on one. And the judge goes, yes, for the fourth victim there is. So for the others, we're going to close the indictments on one through three, they are dismissed and four is good. So this is going to be an uphill battle. Benson and Cabot are like, "Uh uh-oh. Unless this dude passed the bar overnight, this hair flip bitch is helping him. Cabot's still feeling confident that she's going to nail his ass with Carrie's testimony. And then Benson is like, well, only if she gives it. And Bethany says that Carrie cannot face her rapist again and does not want to do it. So now we're at Carrie's apartment and she's apologizing to Benson and Bethany. And Benson just wants to know why she changed her mind. She's like, I don't want to talk to him or hear him and I got to get on with my life. Benson says, I know, but... He's free. Like, how are you going to get on with your life if he's free? She goes, that's not my problem and it's not my
0: responsibility. But he also lives in your neighborhood and is at the coffee shops you go to. Like, just having like a nightmare possibly lurking around every corner it doesn't seem like a good option either. Wow. Bethany is supporting Carrie's choice and Benson
1: is convincing her to testify. And she says she knows nobody that um, like has regretted testifying. Only women regret not doing it. So we got her on the stand. She's doing it. She still has a mark around her neck from the choking. She's speaking clearly, effectively, points him out. It's Michael Gardner But we know he's going to pull some tricks. So he gets up. It's really creepy. She talks to him like, you put a cord around my neck. And he's trying to push it like, well, if I was behind you, how do you know it was me? And she says, I saw you later when I woke up. And he walks closer to her and says, well, you claim sexual assault. She says, you forced your penis into my vagina. And he's like, did your attacker notice your eyes were open? And she goes, no, you weren't even paying attention. He goes, so you were six inches from my face and, you know, I wouldn't notice you're awake. You're awake. That's kind of strange. Cabot objects and is like, fuck, how many more ways can she answer the same question? Like she was awake. You didn't notice move it the fuck along. And the judge agrees. He then pivots someone um, was with you when you went to the cops. Yeah. She goes, yes, Bethany. And Bethany talked to her that night and he wants to know what they talked about, but that's shut, that's shut down because, you know, both Cabot and the judge, know, that that's privileged information. He sits down with no other questions. And I'm a little taken aback that that was chill. You know, like I just thought he was going to play some shenanigans on her. Benson is now on the stand giving all the info about the arrest, the prints, the lineup, and the bing-bang-bong vibes. Sorry to (laughs) quote Stucky, but it was appropriate in this moment. He asks why he wasn't questioned, and she says that she was preparing the victim for the lineup. And he brings the punch that I was expecting earlier, but Cabot objects, and he's like, well, maybe Benson hates me because I punched her and she's extra mad at me. And the judge is now a Judas and allows this questioning. <laughs> and she and, and so Benson goes, I have no personal stake in you. And this is peak Benson. I'm obsessed with this. Um, so he says, well, I embarrassed you in front of colleagues. And she explains, it's not uncommon for a perp to lose control. And I certainly have been hit much harder. And- <laughs> Get her, Jade get her. And he, um, you know, he smiles. And I think, you know, that, that got him. And he continues trying to trap her in something. So he says that he saw her with Bethany at the precinct and he wants to know what they were talking about. And again, we already covered privilege, but hair pipe, hair pipe, hair flip pipes in. <laughs> so she says... That like, no, that privilege is only with a victim, not with, you know, loose detectives. And so what were they talking about? And she's like, I was advising Miss Taylor not to interfere so everything would be fair. And he's like, but you were looking at me. And Bethany did too. And Benson is like, you can ask her if she looked at you. Like, I don't fucking know. And after they were done talking, she went to the interview room with Carrie and Benson realizes what he's up to. He frames it that Bethany talked to Benson, saw him in handcuffs and then talked to the victim alone and that's how that she was picked. And Benson is so mad and she's yelling at Cabot and Cabot is yelling back at her and Benson assures that the lineup wasn't tainted, but they're screwed. Bethany walks in and uh uh-oh, she just got subpoenaed to testify on Michael Garner's behalf. Benson scoffs. We are in judge's quarters. We have Gardner versus Cabot. What will happen? So the word fishing expedition is used. He feels like things are unfair. So the judge decides that she will question Bethany in chambers and she'll figure out what the jury will hear or not hear. And Benson and Cabot are waiting outside the judge's doors and out walks Bethany. And they ask how it went. And she goes, I said nothing. And they're confused. And the judge walks out and goes, Benson, arrest her for contempt. And Benson doesn't want to, but The judge is like, okay, I can get someone else to do it. So fucking arrest her. I'm going to get someone else. So Benson walks her out into custody and it's a subpoena. So you have to talk. She will not, she is in a cell. Cabot walks in to like, you know, talk to her and talk her out of it. She will not end of story. She is not talking. So Benson is like, Bethany, you know, did Carrie tell you, like, did you tell her what he looked like or anything? And you know, Bethany didn't do that. She's a professional. So Benson's trying to, you know, push her and be like, so why does it matter? You'll just tell the judge what you guys talked about. She'll find it immaterial to the trial and no one else has to hear about it. But Bethany doesn't like that, and the precedent that it will set, and then victims in the future will never trust her again, and everything's going to be on court TV, and nobody will trust us, and nobody will report their crimes. Cabot asks her the plan to spend the rest of her life in jail, and she says she brought her toothbrush and is ready to serve the time if it needs to happen. Cabot's like, well, the, the trial is going to be thrown out, and Benson says, what if the victim waives the privilege? And Bethany doesn't like putting that much on Carrie. Benson yells, well, what else do you want me to do? And Bethany says, I don't fucking know, but you know, this, this is just too damaging. She does not want this to happen. And she goes, you're supposed to help the victims do your job. So she sits down. Benson's at the end of her rope. So she goes talk to talk to Carrie and um, tries to convince her to waive her right to privacy so Bethany can testify to the convo. Benson notices, though, that Carrie is no longer wearing her engagement ring, and she said that was her decision. She didn't want Aaron to have to wait around for her to get back to normal. She couldn't have sex without crying. She loves him, but she'll never be normal again. And Benson goes, this is not the right time to make these types of decisions. And she's like, well, what is the right time? You're all sitting around waiting for me to shake this off and get back to normal. And she chuckles softly and the closed captioning uh, wrote um, the, you know, the chuckles. (laughs) And so she exhales and tears start. You have no idea. I can't sleep for more than 20 minutes a night. I hate to be alone, but God, I hate to be around people more. And I'm so afraid to go outside or go to a crowded place because I might see him. And all I can think to myself is that it would be so much better if he just killed me. That's Ugh. what I talked to Bethany about because she said I could say anything to her and no one would ever know. Benson says, nothing I do will ever change what happened to you, but I can only try to make sure this doesn't happen again to anybody else and everything I've done has failed. I'm not going to pretend this is a good or fair thing, but she has to ask for her help because she. this is the last chance. So Bethany is pacing in her cell. Carrie visits her. She says, I hate seeing you in here. And Bethany assures her it was her decision and not Carrie's problem. Carrie proudly states that she waived her rights. And she says, I wish you didn't do that though. And Carrie's like, it is my choice. But Bethany says, it doesn't matter. I still won't say anything. Carrie says, I'm taking back my control. I don't want him getting away with it. And I can't, like, this is only going to get worse. So tell the judge everything and let's lock his ass up. Lois says, yep, not relevant at all, bozo. So he looks worried. It didn't work at all. And your due process is fine. He objects and Lois goes, yeah, you can't do that he yells, that's not fair. And she's like, well, that's my ruling. So shut up. (laughs) Benson and Cabot are walking down the stairs, trying to guess what else he's going to pull in there. But then he runs down the court steps and you can tell she is super mad. And she now has another subpoena um, of someone who raped like another client of hers. And he wants her records disclosed. And she feels like Benson will be the perfect person to bully her into giving up her rights. Benson explains, like, I did what I had to do to just stop him from raping other women. And she says, well, six of my clients just stopped counseling. They don't trust me anymore, but you got your win. So who cares if it's at everyone else's expense? And Benson is really sad. And she's waiting for Stabler to come home, like, waiting on the soup. And she pulls up and she's like, where is everyone? And Kathy took the kids to see La Boheme. <laughs>
0: like, what? Aren't those twins, like, seven? Like, they're going to see La Boheme, the opera? And he goes, "Pass," and it's like,
1: "You can't just go to a the theater with your family for a day <laughs> She's like, "Wow, you're night off with the kids and you go grocery sh- store shopping cool And he says, "'Yeah, it's a grocery store with strippers." And he basically goes, Liv, you got to let it go. And he, you know, you put a rapist on trial. We, you know, and she says, I made it worse. He says, you know, that's not true, but she's making it about her, how she loves to. She doesn't think the cost was worth it. He looks deep at her and says, you always identified with the victims. And it's one of the things that makes you a great cop, but that's what makes this job torture. Sometimes you can never go back and change things that have happened. You can't, a real philosopher. (laughs) Yeah. He's like explaining time to us. (laughs) So she's having a really hard night, full existential crisis. Maybe there isn't a point to all of this. Maybe the cost is too high. And he goes, well, nobody's making you do this, Olivia. You can walk away. Um, And she goes, no, I can't. So we're back at trial. We're back at trial and he's not in court and it's been an hour. And Cabot's like, whatever, we could do the trial without him. It doesn't matter. And Hair Flip is fighting for her man, claiming she doesn't know where he is. And Benson and Stabler run into the court um, or maybe like a walk with a brisk up beat vi- vi- vibe, you know, <laughs> not a full jog. They run back out and are going to try to find him. All alerts are on, all hands on deck, and a busy scurrying energy in the squad room. So many targets out there. We need warnings out to everyone that could be his enemy. And Kragen tells him that he has had a hard-on for you, Benson. Wow, NBC. So (laughs) she says, I hope he tries something, and Stabler hangs up the phone. He already did another attack. They go to the alley um, and there's a crime scene there. The victim is dead. So they, he, and he cut up her face too. Nobody to ID him now. The victim is now in the morgue and Melinda's breaking it down for the detectives. Her name is Evelyn Sharp from Staten Island. Strangulation is here latex gloves, bruises on knuckles, no evidence on body left behind, but there's a part of skin cut off where he bit her. So, but like, So he's getting better at this, but he didn't cut the skin deep enough. And there's still an impression of his teeth in the muscle, which... God, he bit her so hard. This is so fucked up. And Melinda matched it to his dental record. So now there's no question we got the son of a bitch. So now Benson and Stabler are hounding hair flip and they're like, it's a super windy day. Everyone's hair is flying. <laughs> Benson is in her Bieber era short, you know, short but long hair. Um, and they're pleading like it's no longer a case of mistaken identity. We got him, Aaron, guilty of rape and murder. She says, if I knew where he was, I'd tell you. I just don't know. So we're all back in the office and Munch goes, well, he has no family and he, you know, we talked to the business partner's staff. Nobody has heard from him. The wife is devastated. So um, they dump his phone to see who he like calls all the time. Benson runs in with a file. All the money is his wife's but he does have access to it. And recent activity shows five grand he took out um, yesterday morning in the Bronx. So then they head to the Bronx to go to the cash and check place. And the guy behind the bulletproof glass calls him Richie Rich. And the camera, of course, is rolling. There's money. There's bulletproof glass. There's a camera. And there's proof on the camera that he was there. And in the same frame, we have the white truck in the background. So, you know, Carrie mentioned a white car, but they couldn't find one registered to him or his wife. Who is driving that? white car and it's a 99 Lexus RX300 and they play the video longer and Joel De la Fuente is blowing it up and getting so freaking close oh my god he's kissing this person that is not his wife there's a girlfriend in the mix so Cragen is now like okay we got to get to the bottom of it let's let's like look through the phone records so the issue though Stabler is like he's too smart to be pulling dumb mistakes like calling his girlfriend on his regular phone and the majority of his calls went to his lawyer this month and then Stabler those scrunches face and goes, and last month. And then Benson grabs more papers and it's like, oh my God, he has been communicating with HairFlip for four months. And why would he need a criminal defense attorney before he was even arrested? They look her up and they're having an affair. Benson's like, oh my God. And guess what the DMV records show? She has a white Lexus. Done, done. Oh my
0: God. Exactly what I think of when I think of a white truck, (laughs) a white Lexus SUV.
1: Stabler says the white, I mean, it was just her memory
0: after an attack. Of course, attack. of course. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not.
1: <laughs> but I like, I wonder if they were like
0: what the cops were looking for.
1: Um, Stabler sees the white Lexus trunk open. Not a great sign. They run in, they go into Aaron's apartment, knock, knock. So we hear a voice go, door is open and it's her. And they walk in, guns up and they ask where he is. And she says, he's here. She uh, puts her hands up and they're covered in blood. They ask her if she's hurt. She says, no. So she found the murder weapon in the car He denied it, even after she found everything. Benson says, if he attacks you, there's nothing you could have done. And she says, that's right, justifiable homicide. And so then, um, you know, Wonder Years Savage is just bleeding out on the ground. And Carrie and Bethany go down to the morgue. They want to see his body. So she wants to know it's over. And Benson pulls some strings to get them in to see the body. She's a real one. She pulls back the curtain. He's dead. Carrie stares at him, then walks away. Benson covers his blue body back up. It's the end of the episode. Dick Wolf, baby.
0: I don't really, I like wish she had just like made him... Like she gets to kill him and now he's dead. Like he doesn't get to like, he doesn't really face the consequences for being a fucking serial rapist. I don't know. I don't like that she vigilanteed in that situation.
1: I disagree. They're all happier that he's dead, you know? Probably, yeah. He can't make prank calls or letters or not, you know, like he is dead, dead,
0: dead, dead. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Oh, and Lisa, thank you so much for that beautiful recap. Before we get into our... True Crime segment, I would just like to remind everybody gently in the middle of the podcast that we are on tour. In October, we're going to be in Buffalo, New Haven, Burlington, Vermont, Cleveland, Ohio, Boston, Ontario, Detroit, Pittsburgh. Please come see us. Some of these are cities we've never been to. You guys have asked us to come. If we don't sell the tickets, maybe we can't come back. So we are... We're getting low on tickets in Burlington. Come see us, Vermont. We love you so much. We need you to buy those tickets for Boston and everywhere else. Just come see us. And also, Lisa will be at the Bell House in New York City on 10 11, October 11th, in between a couple of those dates. And I'll be doing a quick little opening set. So get tickets for that as well, because those are going fast. Okay. Well, listen to these messages from our sponsors, and then we've got some real true crime to talk about. And we're back. So this episode is based off of the case of the bike path rapist, who was a guy who would choke victims until they passed out and sexually assault them. And then he eventually ended up murdering a few of his victims. Like he was first just known as a serial rapist. And then I don't know if he progressed to murder. It sounds like some of the murders were results of victims fighting back, but we'll get into it. What is wild is that this episode aired in 2003 and the crime had not yet been solved but it has since been solved. Whoa. So, yeah. So, here's what happened. Um, This kind of came to prominence more in uh, late September of 1990. A woman named Linda Yellum had just begun her sophomore year at the University of Buffalo she went out for a run on a bike path that goes through the campus into the town of Amherst, New York. And it was like a regular route for her. She was training for the New York City Marathon that was coming up in like just over a month. And it was 1215 in the afternoon. She had promised her sister that she would never run at night because just the year before was the infamous Central Park jogger case. And um, you know everybody was, I feel like, very on edge about jogging, especially at night at that in the aftermath of that horrific crime. So she had planned to run 15 miles and then meet her friends to watch the movie Beaches. Hello, one of my all-time favorites that I made Lisa watch. So... When no one had heard from Linda by 9.30 p.m., her roommates called campus police to report her missing. Police um, and student search groups led by Linda's boyfriend went out looking for her on the bike path. But then in the morning, they really got down to business and, like, campus and local police were, like, using dogs and a helicopter And the cops were struck by a sense of familiarity in this case because four months earlier, um, a 32-year-old woman had been found moaning and hanging on to life 50 feet from the bike path, having been beaten and sexually assaulted. She was unconscious for over six hours. They didn't know if she would ever regain consciousness. She finally did, told the police that she couldn't remember anything except for suddenly having a rope around her neck, and she never saw her attacker. And um, this, this is a verb and a noun, but it's called a garrote. And it's a rope or a wire or anything that's used to like strangle someone. And so I think garat, when you garrot someone, it's actually pronounced garrot, I think, because I I listened to the little Google thing that's like garrot and tells you how to say it. But... The rope um, left this woman unconscious and made deep impressions in her neck. And so then the story goes even further back to August of 89, when a 14 year old girl from Amherst on her way to cheerleading practice at Sweet Home High School was dragged off the same bike path and raped. Three months earlier than that, a 15 year old high school student was attacked with a similar MO in Buffalo. And then in 88, a 16 year old high school student was also raped in that same area of Buffalo. And the first two victims go all the way back to 86 when a 44-year-old jogger in Buffalo and a 17-year-old high school student in Hamburg were attacked only weeks apart. So in total, that's six victims over four years before Linda goes missing in 1990. So when they're looking for Linda, they're hoping to find her alive because to their knowledge, this perp has not killed before. So they're hoping she's somewhere where she can't call for help, but she's still alive. Sadly... On the next, on the day after she disappeared, her body is found and she's wearing a Nike t-shirt with the words run like hell on it, which is so horrible. And she has duct tape covering her nose and mouth and it really looked like she fought back hard. Um, police knew when they saw the double ligature marks on her neck that this was the same guy and that forensics from several of the previous scenes confirmed that this was the work of the bike path rapist. Police worked diligently to find this guy. They did stakeouts on the bike path. They investigated hundreds and hundreds of tips, but nothing came of it. The the case went unsolved for over a decade, but here's what they did know. Killer had typo blood. In every case beside Linda, he attacked between 7.30 a.m. and 9.30 a.m., and always between May and October. Like, this man did not like to kill in the cold months. Victims were seemingly picked at random, but the locations were pre-planned because during some of his attacks, he would force the victims to a different location on the bike path where he had like pre-cut strips of duct tape and medical tape and stuff waiting for him. So he had like areas set up for his crime, but I think he picked the victim based on opportunity. And I think- a lot of times we hear about rapists and and killers like stalking victims getting to know their patterns but I think this guy knows oh it's a bike path like people are running on it all the time I'll just get someone when the time strikes me. Um apparently one time this guy identified himself as Dave and said he'd been in prison for rape or murder. I don't really know where that came from because I, I haven't read specifically any of the victims saying they conversed with this man but most of the time they were all just like attacked from behind unconscious and then left. The garrote he used was a wire or a cord that did not leave fibers and it was originally used to keep victims quiet but later they said he would use it to purposely purposefully bring them in and out of consciousness like during the rapes like you know we've we've seen that before I feel like where they think that's it's like a torture that's kind of fun for this for these rapists to like have you come back awake and then go back out when he chokes you again. So he would usually sneak up behind them, double wrap the cord, hence the double ligature marks, on the victims before pulling them back. And he always took the cord with him, but he did leave DNA and other evidence at several of the crime scenes. Not all of them, but several of them that they could tie them together. Um, whereas in this episode, he only had left evidence at one case. So they were allowed to sever them. This was like a clear pattern and he'd left DNA that tied them all. The bike path rapist case was also on Unsolved Mysteries and they would get new tips every time the episode aired. Um, and the Amherst police did like arrest a couple of people. Like one guy that was loitering on the bike path was kind of creepy and his name was Dave. They got him, but everybody got exonerated by DNA because it didn't match. So by 2002, the statute of limitations is up on all these rapes, but not the murder, um, which obviously could still be prosecuted. So after, nine, after 1990, which is when Linda was killed, in 92, they found the body of uh, Majan Mazur, who was a sex worker who was sexually assaulted and murdered by strangulation the same way as Linda was. She was found in a field in Buffalo over three weeks after she disappeared. She was a heroin addict. And um, she was, allegedly, they knew each other, her and the attacker. And so he killed her because um, she could ID him. And uh, like he had solicited her before, they think. And probably because she was a sex worker, there's actually not very much information about her murder. It's kind of like, I know she had a daughter who was five at the time of her murder, but that's kind of all I could find out about her. And then... Then what's creepy is on September 29th, 2006, which is six year, 16 years to the day that Linda Yellum was killed, Joan Diver, a nurse from Clarence, New York, disappeared after going on a run on a rural bike path. Um, her body was found two days later, also strangled. And interestingly, she was the only victim who was not sexually assaulted. It's thought that she may have died from strangulation before the attacker could get to the sexual assault. So a few months later investigators linked the DNA to all three murders and to five of the rapes. And um, the DNA also showed that the attacker would be of Hispanic origin. So a task force was formed that included New York State Police, Erie County Sheriff's Department, Buffalo, and Amherst Police Departments. They cross-referenced all these lists of suspects they'd have over the years, and they landed on a man named Altemio Sanchez, who had been a suspect in a 1981 rape and was the only Hispanic man to show up on multiple lists when they cross-reference, and th- this man Altamio Sanchez was from Puerto Rico, um, so they started surveilling him. Like oh, they were following him around town to and from his factory job, and then they they are literally undercover in a restaurant one night while he is at dinner with his wife. And they were—they had instructed the people at the restaurant, do not touch any of his stuff when he's done. And they did this shit that they do on SVU all the time that I always think is like sort of for TV, but they get his plate, his glass and utensils after his meal, they test it for DNA and it matches the DNA from three murders. So Altimio Sanchez is the guy and profilers had thought he was single and a loner. And, you know, interestingly, I was on uh, Twitter, the app formerly known as Twitter, I was on X the other day, and I saw a friend of mine tweet in another conversation this Vox article about profiling that it talks about how profiling, like, doesn't work. Like, it's not real, and maybe we should, like, have TV shows stop celebrating it. I will link to it in the um, show notes, but it's interesting about criminal profiling when they do studies most profiling doesn't really come up with more information than what like non-trained profilers could come up with. And in this case, they assumed this guy was single, a loner, hates women. I mean, probably does hate women, but it turned out a lot of the stuff they thought about this guy was incorrect. Sanchez was a short, stocky, bald man with a mustache. He did not fit the profile of a quote-unquote maladjusted loner. He was employed, he was married, and he had two sons. Which we've seen, BTK, the Green River Killer was married. You know, a lot of people can appear well adjusted and look, quote unquote, like the guy next door. Quote, husband, father, solid work record, little league baseball coach, church goer. He just didn't fit anybody's profile, said Frank Clark, the county district attorney. And Sanchez's neighbors in suburban Chictawaga, where he lived, were stunned. Like the New York Times wrote, he just blended in. Um, All his neighbors thought he was thoughtful, helpful. He would have like garden parties in the summer, like potluck people would bring food to. And um, this is so fucking creepy. Get this. This motherfucker actually registered and ran in the Linda Yellum Memorial Run in 1996, which is a run that her family set up to like to honor her memory. And he murdered her. And then for six years later, Ran in her memorial race that fifteen hundred plus people ran, and it was like a three point one mile race. And her, honor. sick, scum, so sick. But also, um,
1: this is that's such an SVU plot line. I know, like to go to the memorial race. Usually, they just go to the press or the memorial or the the
0: cemetery. But to fucking race, that is to run in the race. I mean, who would think? No one would think that you would be like that the killer would be on that list of 1500 people. Oh um god, I wonder oh my god, sick. And he actually had like pretty much no record. He had two arrests for soliciting prostitution in 91 and 99. Um but they didn't go anywhere. In 1990, um the police questioned Mr. Sanchez and took his fingerprints after a co-worker reported him lurking on a bike on the bike path. So, but I guess fingerprints weren't part of like the evidence they'd gathered. In 1981, five years before the first rape of his that we have connected, officers interviewed this uh, uh, Sanchez's uncle after a rape victim thought she spotted her attacker in the uncle's car at a shopping mall. But at 20 years later, 25 years later, the uncle is like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell the cops that my nephew had borrowed the car that when that woman made that report. So when the cops came to him and said, This woman says her rapist was in your car. The guy had an airtight alibi because it wasn't him. It was his nephew he'd lent the car to. And this guy just never told the cops. Um, And then 25 years later, you've been basically harboring a serial rapist and murderer as your nephew. Worse still is that a man named Anthony Capazzi, who was, you know, suffering from schizophrenia, served 22 years for two rapes that are now through DNA tied to Sanchez and his convictions have since been erased but it was crazy cuz this guy was like everybody said he he was severely debilitated he was on medication that made him slow and lethargic he was much heavier than what women reported um he, there's no way he would have been able to like physically detain these women cuz he was so sluggish from his medication but you know it's the 80s so let's just like get this guy with a mental health issue and lock him up for these rapes but it wasn't him which is essentially how making a murderer starts but then we know how it ends um anyway May 2000, I think I said this, but just to be clear, he is arrested in January of 2007. And then in May 2007, he pleads guilty to the murders of Linda Yellum, Majan Mazur, and Joan Diver. Um, In August of that same year, he's sentenced to 75 years to life. He was imprisoned at the Clinton Correctional Facility in the Adirondacks, but... I looked him up in like the inmate system for New York and he's since been moved to the Wendy Correctional Facility, which we just talked about on another episode. And I think from what I gathered, it's possible that him pleading guilty got him moved to a facility closer to his family. So, um, because the Wendy facility is like just east of Buffalo. So he's closer to home and closer to where he committed his crimes. But yeah, this is like another case of just like a guy who totally blended in. No one thought it could have been him. And he was just... Doing these horrific crimes and probably was also a power reassurance rapist, like made him feel like a man. I don't know. Wow. But it seemed also like the people that he killed, he killed to either cover up from ID or because they fought back. Or he, uh, like with the third victim, I think he was just trying to strangle her and and he killed her by accident. But fuck this guy. Yeah, horrible. Well, he'll be in, he'll rot in jail forever. So that's that story. And, um, you know, he'll be in jail forever and Fred Savage's character is dead on the floor of his hair flip lawyer girlfriend. Yeah,
1: it the profiling, it's like clearly criminal there are anti-criminal minds.
0: <laughs> yes. Specifically the specifically, this says it basically talks about Mindhunter, Criminal Minds, and says that, like, you see criminal profiles even in shows like The Alienist, which is about, in happens in 1896. Like, like, the article goes, we hardly knew anything about human psychology in 1896. But I guess Malcolm Gladwell did, like, a thing about this a while ago. And then uh, the research that they are talking about just says, like, it's just not, conclusive like I mean I guess it's... I know but I don't like Malcolm Gladwell he's really like been a proponent about going back to
1: the office and I'm like fuck off
0: I know you don't but go I to like... an office
1: I just hate I people know. that don't actually go to offices being like it's good for it's like this is all about real estate and money for rich people like everyone's lives are better not having to go to the office and anyone that is pro office to me uh, you're not I don't I'm against you I agree
0: I agree with you on all that. But Malcolm Gladwell does call out a lot of bullshit rich people shit. Like he has a great article. He has a great episode of his podcast, uh, Revisionist History, about... Golf courses and how golf courses are like total bullshit. They take up so much fucking land in cities that could be used for people to enjoy. They're privately owned. They don't pay taxes. Like basically tax. Taxpayers- Why don't they pay taxes? Because there's these loopholes where, like specifically in LA, the members are the owners, so they can't be taxed. Like because the membership owns the club, even though there are owners of country clubs, like people. So it's all set up like tax shields. And, you know, like there's places like in Toronto where there'll be private golf clubs, like the city will own golf clubs that members can only go to them on the weekends. It's members only on the weekends, but on the week, anybody can go. And I'm like, okay with that, you know, like, Let's let the membership money pay for something that helps other people in the city, but they just take up tons of public fucking land and they're just for rich people. So he definitely goes after other shit, but I agree with you on the office space thing. I don't know why. He's probably trying to make some kind of statement about what it does for us culturally as human beings that we need to be around each other and blah, blah, blah. But I haven't actually heard him talk about that. Oh god, I feel like I haven't taken a breath in 10 minutes. Anyway, um that's the story of the bike path rapist fucked up. I'm glad they solved it. Crazy that SVU kind of did a um episode based on it and then it it all shook out.
1: Well, and get ready for our postmortem because there are no guests. <laughs> Well, this is wild because we were just talking in the intro about Danny Masterson and this is the this is like completely in line with reality. You know, she's like, "But he's my husband." But uh, he has a puppy and it's like <laughs> <laughs> Well, now he, he murdered possibly. another woman. Now he yeah. bit a woman and cut off her skin, but not de- I mean this is biting whatever like this is actually the perfect episode to, uh, with what is going on where people just because they have friends, they can't be rapists or because your friend didn't rape you. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: yeah, this guy almost reminds me of the guy from those episodes. We haven't actually covered them, but like the ones with Michael J. Fox's wife, Tracy Pollan, where the guy ends up, he's just like a rich guy that just does this and he collects little tokens. Like he takes necklaces and bracelets and stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um,
1: I remember the Tracy episode and it's like um, that episode's all about like the post-trauma and they do a good job, but I don't
0: actually remember the bad guy. Yeah, there's two of them because there's like one is like when it first happens to her and then they catch up with her like a couple years later and she's like a vigilante now or something. But yeah, the bad guy kind of looks like Matthew Modine and he's just this really smug rich guy who's like... I didn't do anything. And his wife is covering for him until she realizes that all the gifts that he gave her were trophies from his victims and that he probably loves seeing her wear them. Of course he does, that little sicko. Total. But like, yeah, this guy, the guy in the real case too, just like had garden parties, potlucks. People said he was a good guy. It's just like... Really wild.
1: Honestly, don't have, potlucks are
0: trash. Make make the <laughs> food. Why don't you host <laughs> a little bit? Be a host. Potlucks are trash. I hate bringing stuff to a potluck cuz I'm just not Unless I could just bring like something from the grocery store, I'm just not good at like, I don't know, cooking. I also don't
1: trust people. Like, and it's transporting, here's a potato salad I drove in my hot car. Like <laughs> I understand telling people like, oh, bring some drinks and desserts, some, but like if you're hosting fucking host and this actually showed up on my phone where it was, um, you know, a mighty ass, this and that. And there was these white women were talking about if it's a child's birthday party, it said food will be there, but it's for the kids. And I guess one adult was like annoyed. And so they were like, excuse me, it's a kid party. We're not here to feed everyone. And then the one person who was not white, not sure where she's from was like, oh yeah, no ethnic people. That's, that's what you're saying is wild. Yeah. You feed every single person. There's an abundance of food and you send people home with food is what she was saying. (laughs) And they're like, well, what if the families have siblings? She goes, Yeah, no, everyone gets, they're like, what about the spouses? Like they couldn't under, they could not believe feeding
0: everybody. No, like this is my problem when Jared's like, you invited so many people to Rosie's birthday. I'm like, no, the issue is if she has 14 friends and they all have a little brother and they bring two parents, that's like 14 times four. Like immediately it's a party of 80 people. You know what I mean? Like it's, and you have to feed everybody. That's just, that's why I'm ordering massive pizzas that are the size of like a desk because I need to feed everybody. Like that is a crazy, like that's a, I, I don't know anyone who, I've never been to a kid's per- party and I've been to dozens where they're like, the food's just for the kids. Yeah, and these if it was, women I were like, I broke the rules.
1: <laughs> we're like shorts at lunch. They mean unicorn bread and popcorn, not you. Feed yourself. And it's like, yeah, that's who That's who has a potluck. That's who goes, come to my party. But by the way, it's BYOB and potluck. That's the switch. <laughs> it's BYOB and potluck. The only time a potluck is appropriate is when it's like um, a party where everyone at the school brings a dish from their heritage. Oh, I can get yeah. behind that. You bring an yeah, yeah, Israeli yeah. salad. You bring some stroganoff. You bring paella. Oh, if we're trying yeah. to taste the world. yeah, yeah. Children. Yeah. Then yes,
0: but that's and I've it. I've done it potluck style at my house, I guess, where I've said like it's last minute and it's just good friends, and I'm like, can you bring this and you bring this and I'll do this, and we kind of like divide that's it up not quickly. A party.
1: That's different. That's you going, <laughs> hey, I'll order the dinner. Why don't you bring this? Or yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. No, that's friendship. But the thing is, that's friendship. Most <laughs> the times with friends, we will bring stuff to each other's house, of course. But we are not, um, what's the word, made to feel like you have to.
0: Yeah, obligated. Yeah.
1: Obligated. Cause you know, I had a friend, you know exactly who it is, where if you stayed at their home and you did not leave them gifts, they would talk shit about you. (sighs) So you're they would tell you.
0: They would tell you you were supposed to leave me a gift.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. They would scream at you going, Why didn't you pay for our pedicure? Like (laughs) because I remember one time I was like trying to get onto a flight and Kara was driving me. I wasn't living in LA yet. And I was like, I have to go buy a gift. I have to leave them gifts. And she's like, do you really have to leave them a gift? You got it. I'm like, I have to leave a gift or they get (laughs) pissed. And then I had real friends sit me down going, you could just hang out. You could truly come to our home. We do not need gifts from you. And it was a big learning experience because I felt so made to feel like a horrible person if I wasn't I don't know. And I'll always pay for a dinner. But yeah, with friendship, it's like, yeah, I'll bring something. But if I go to your house and I don't bring something, I don't think once I leave, you'd be like, God, that ungrateful little bitch. She didn't bring a cheese. You know, I just don't Yeah. Feel wait,
0: that. I feel like we should at this point call out an article that our friend wrote that we both oh, really enjoyed. let's do it. Let's do we it. We have, uh, there's a, co- a comedian that are, um that we both like named Maddie Connors and she wrote at the end of August, so I guess the, the article came out about a, a month ago called Generosity and Paranoia and it's the, and then the subtitle is The American Love Language and it's on dirt And the website for Dirt is dirt.fyi. We'll post a link to it in the show notes. um, But... Just want, and I can also probably do a story of it the day it comes out. But we really enjoyed this article, and it was like a lot about giving gifts and generosity. That was interesting, so we'll call and that rich out. People are trash,
1: but that's the thing. It's like I always want to bring stuff, but then someone it's like, listen, the flower shop was closed. We're good friends. Who cares? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, exactly. but I also don't like coming. I, I think I'm full of contradictions, honestly, in this postmortem because I also I don't like going to places empty-handed. No, me neither. But, I but like if I really that I
0: yeah, I I usually bring a bottle of wine. If I can't, I go, "I'm so sorry. I couldn't get it together to get the wine before I came." Like, you know, and they're like, "You're my friend. It doesn't matter." You know? I think time- if you're habitually coming and being a bit like I have a friend that comes to parties and just like brings garbage and then just Eats like he's never eaten before, like an animal. And you're just like, you have to like calm down at parties. I
1: mean, if you think you're not going to type into the chat who this is, you are mistaken. (laughs) This is, yeah, yeah. eating all your food and bringing trash. Yeah. Oh, yeah, people are wild. I don't even know. (laughs) Like this, there's a few of, uh, yeah, I don't even know. I get confused between all the varieties of this person's name, but, um, Okay. Delete that break. Um, Yeah, but one time I (laughs) went to... Wait, Lisa, just Mitch mcconnell for a second. (laughs) I did. (laughs) We can leave the break-in if we were trying to prove it. People will probably think (laughs) I broke it, but I did Mitch. (laughs) The one time I wouldn't be offended if you said I Mitch mcconnell you know? Yeah. Because everything else is like... (laughs) I I kick school children and you're like, look at this McConnell. Yeah. (laughs) Um, no, one time I went to the house of like a rich, famous person and I did bring like chips and white claws and I immediately felt humiliated because he had a chef and two bartenders. (laughs) And so I like hid my bag in the kitchen. (laughs) So I guess if you're going to someone that's super rich, you don't have to bring him anything. What I, what bothers me is I've read about etiquette that you can't, you shouldn't bring flowers unless it's in a vase. And it's like,
0: it's hard to get a vase. Uh, That's crazy. I do like flowers though in like nice like paper versus like plastic. Like, you know, like it it feels like it's classier when it comes from like the 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 florist in our neighborhood does like this pretty like wrap around it and it makes me feel like I've spent more.
1: Our neighbor, our neighborhood's incredible. The yeah. florist, every single piece <laughs> of our neighborhood is amazing. Well, I woke up telling you this this morning. We're in the time machine. I don't know if you cared, but when I was talking to my mom, she goes. Well, what are you doing for Rosh Hashanah? And I'm like, nothing. Like uh, going to a couple birthday <laughs> parties. She goes, You better eat a circle challah and apples and honey. I go, I'll bet I'll get a bagel. And she goes, No, a circle challah, apple and honey. You have to. And then I was on Instagram before bed, and Bell's Bagels goes, Last day to pre-order circle challahs and apple cake. <laughs> So I did it. So I, I hopefully I'll see you that because I don't think I can finish a whole challah and apple cake. Yeah, I felt come like over. I would my kids it.
0: will eat challah and they eat apples and honey for breakfast like all the time. It's Rosh Hashanah in my house constantly.
1: Yeah. So I will bring um I'll bring my Rosh Hashanah goodies to your house for
0: breakfast, lunch vibes, and then we can do a little Jewish hang with the kids. Yeah, let's sprinkle a little Judaism on my children because they're not getting too much of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a fun new year. You know why not? Yeah. 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 Okay, let's uh, move on, right, to Sister Peg? No, let's um, talk more about Judaica. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> um, for What Would Sister Peg Do, our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource, an organization, a book, a blog, something to give you more information about what we talked about in today's episode. We're going to point you once again. I know we've we've pointed to this organization before, but not for a while. And um, they are of like a vital national resource uh, for rape survivors and uh, survivors of abuse. Um, and that's Rain, which is the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. Um, it's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. I truly can't find other ones that are as national as Rain, And so I think they, what they do is they operate the National Sexual Assault Hotline in partnership with more than a thousand local sexual assault service providers. So I think they work to kind of bring together what all 50 states offer in terms of a rape crisis um, across the country and operates the DOD safe helpline for the Department of Defense. Um, So for more information about Rain, you can go to www.rainn.org. That's going to be also posted on our Instagram page in stories the day that this episode comes out and will be saved forever in our WWSPD highlight.
1: Thank you so much for taking us through that. And next week, please join us as we do, why did I sound so NPR? But <laughs> um, we will be doing the episode Competence, season three, episode 22. Wow, we're really obsessed with these, the early years. Um, yeah. Hulu, Peacock, all that good stuff. And we're obsessed with you. Give us a nice little review. Give us some stars. Let, let's go.
0: Yeah, we love you guys. We'll see you on the road. We'll see you in your ears. and. uh Check you later. Bye.
1: That's Messed Up is an exactly
0: right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com.
1: Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese.
0: As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer Casey O'Brien and to our mixer John Bradley and our guest booker Patrick Cotner. and to Henry Kaperski for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Done. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.